And welcome once again to another edition of A Plain Answer here at Redeemer Broadcasting. I'm Dan Elmendorf, and joining me in the studio today, the Reverend Mark Diedrich of the PCA Church in Kingston, New York. Hi, Dan. And Dr. John Vance, Senior Pastor of Westminster Presbyterian Church in Rock Tavern. Glad to be here, Dan. Well, gentlemen, it's good to have you in the studio here again today. And uh, you know, the last couple of uh, sessions here at A Plain Answer, we talked about various subjects. One was the Manhattan Declaration. And another interesting subject was dealing with Islam. And today we're getting back to more of a seasonal theme, and it's dealing with Epiphany. And the question before us is this, you know, not that long ago we celebrated Christmas, and we did so on December the 25th. But uh, of all Christians around the world, uh, do they all celebrate Christmas uh, at the same time, uh, December the 25th? Not really, uh, uh, Dan. Uh, there are many Eastern Christians who celebrate Christmas on January the 6th. That's an interesting date. And very early on, uh, Christians uh, debated uh, whether to celebrate uh, Christmas on December the 25th or January the 6th. What is interesting is that uh, many Christians in the West celebrate of course, Christmas on December 25th, but they also celebrate January 6th as the uh, remembering the Magi who came to visit Jesus. Of course, he was uh, not just newly born. Right. The celebration of Epiphany, of course, has a, has a couple of different foci, I guess you would say, but mm-hmm. uh, of course, uh, the main one in the West is the coming of the wise men there and of course uh, we have that in Matthew the second chapter where we have the description of the wise men coming to see Jesus. Mm-hmm. So interesting about wise men there the word is magi sometimes they are pictured as uh, three kings there's no reason for them to simply be reducible to three except that there are three gifts. Yeah. And um and mm-hmm. from a couple of psalms it talks about a king that would appear. So it seems that um, uh, the kings paid homage if they were kings or whatever mm-hmm. they were. The magi, it's a difficult uh, word in one sense to uh, understand. We don't quite know what who these people were, but they came from the east. They may have been kind of uh, wise men, philosophers who were studying the sky and the stars and so forth, but... Nonetheless, they came to pay homage uh, to the birth of the Lord, and I think it's quite significant in many ways. Mm. Yeah, it is. It is a very significant time. We see kings coming to pay homage to the king, and of course, where do they go first? They go to Jerusalem, where they would expect to see the king, and of course, the king that is there is King Herod. And if you want to look at a contrast between two kings, you look at King Jesus and King Herod. <laughs> there is a huge, huge contrast. Oh, yeah. Herod, to say the least, was uh, a, a, a cruel and a murderous man. He has um, a history that's recorded by others that's not included in the Bible, but mm-hmm. he was a man who who murdered and did away with many people around him. And so in some ways it's not surprising that he would uh, uh, do what he did in the massacre of these uh, 
uh, small infant males mm-hmm. yeah. uh, mm-hmm. trying to, of course, uh, kill Jesus. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that that it, one of the interesting things at, at this point, and I don't know uh, the re- listeners out there have run across it, but of course, it's very popular in this day and age to deny that the infants were actually slaughtered. I believe Robert oh, yeah. Grant, one of the one of the great historians of of the ancient world, pretty much puts that in in the category of of a legend and not fact. <laughs> um, but as as uh, of course for us, it's either you're going to believe the scriptures, right, which are given yeah. from God, or you're going to take the um, feeble research. <laughs> or lack of it of some historian who may or may mm-hmm. not be able to believe it themselves and then foist that into mm-hmm. uh, yeah. his own writings. Uh, now, I have a, a great admiration for Robert Grant, but yes. my, the scriptures are the scriptures. Yeah. <laughs> and and the, one of my pet peeves is when you look at something like this is if you have a, a number of historic uh, accounts, a lot of these individuals – uh, they'll look at, say, Josephus and say, oh, Josephus said this, so it must be true. Mm-hmm. But if it conflicts with the Bible, automatically, they a priori, the Bible must be wrong. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so yeah. so that's one of the, the things that, that, that really annoys me. But the logic is, is very weak here. And, of course, the logic is that Josephus doesn't mention this. But well, why should he? Well, yeah, that's true. And moreover... The pattern uh, of Herod's life uh, uh, lends itself to believe that he not only could do this, that but that he did he, do this. He, he would do it, and, and that and that's exactly the point. Because Herod, throughout his life, was paranoid. He had ten wives. He killed his favorite wife, Mariamne, who was a Hasmonean. He killed her two sons in seven B.C., which is very close to the time here. He was near the time when when he died. He killed another son, Antipater III. Yes. He killed that son days before he himself died. And then, on top of that, he had all the prominent people of the towns gathered together so that when he died, his command was that they should be killed so that there would be mourning. There's a... Uh, uh, clearly, the uh, mm. uh, Herod uh, was a disturbed man. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but uh, it does show you uh, the the uh, megalomania right. uh, here, and uh, it also says something about uh, his uh, sorry relationship with uh, the Jewish people, to say yeah. the least. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and so when you look at all that, you know, you can say about Herod, he's a megalomaniac. By the way, uh, Augustus. Caesar once said, I'd rather be his his huss than his huios, which means I'd rather be his pig than his son. <laughs> so, yeah. But when you see this, Josephus was so busy keeping up with all the other crazy things that Herod was doing in, in the paranoid. I believe it was Albright who, who said if Bethlehem had roughly 300 people, maybe there would have been six or seven and maybe as many as 20 children, infants killed, that was small peanuts compared to the yes. rest of the things that was going on well, at that that's, time. That's a very good point, I think, uh, Mark, the uh, fact that uh, there may not have been that many that would have qualified as uh, male children under two years of age in a very small town. That's probably one reason why it was not mentioned right. uh, so widely, because 
that that age was a uh, pretty cruel uh, age, to say the least. Uh, there were lots of murders, lots of intrigue going on, and uh, this would not have registered on the radar of of uh, many people who were doing something in the area of history and telling the story of the times. That's right. Well, I see we're uh, nearing the end of this uh, segment here on A Plain Answer. And uh, what we'll do is we'll pick up this discussion right after the break. Today we're talking about Epiphany. And uh, we started off asking the question, do all Christians celebrate Christmas on uh, December the 25th? And, uh, John, you brought up January the 6th. And so we'll continue this discussion on the other side of the break. Stay with us. We'll be right back with our program in just a minute. Now a reminder that your gifts to this ministry enable us to bring you thoughtful, Christ-centered programming 24 hours a day. Would you prayerfully consider helping us with a tax-deductible gift this month? Redeemer Broadcasting is a 501c3 not-for-profit broadcast ministry. We're entirely listener-supported and have no advertisements. If you would like to help support us this month, and perhaps in the future, our mailing address is Redeemer Broadcasting, Post Office Box 1520, Olive Bridge, New York, 12461. Once again, Redeemer Broadcasting, Post Office Box 1520, Olive Bridge, New York, 12461. Stay with us now for the second half of our program. And welcome back. You're tuned to A Plain Answer here at Redeemer Broadcasting. Thanks so much for joining us today. We're continuing our discussion of Epiphany, and now we pick it up a little bit more talking about the Magi. Well, interesting uh, about these uh, uh, men who came from the east, we, we're not really sure where they came from. They could have come from uh, southern Arabia or modern-day Iran that was called Persia then, or they could have come from Mesopotamia in Iraq hmm. uh, region. Uh, we're not really sure. They could have been Zoroastrian priests, kings. Uh, they clearly studied uh, the heavens. And they followed this star, which eventually stopped over the place where Jesus was born. Hmm. Uh, What I find interesting, though, is the significance. There's a theological reason that these uh, men are uh, recorded as having visited Jesus. Remember that uh, John's Gospel says that he is a light unto the Gentiles. And these men were clearly not Jewish they were Gentiles. The Magi. The Magi were Gentiles. Oh, I, you caught me again. It's Magi. Magi. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, it's it's a fulfillment of prophecy. Yeah. Um, uh, these uh, these men came to to pay tribute, homage to Jesus. And um, uh, while we don't understand very much about them, and probably never will. Uh, we just don't have that information. 
but we do know why Matthew includes this under divine inspiration, and that is that Jesus came into the world to seek and to save the lost. Mm -hmm. He came surely to the house of Israel, but he also came uh, to the whole world. Mm -hmm. You know, the greatest verse uh, summary of the gospel in the Bible is that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And this is a fulfillment of that. That's right. Yeah, this is very interesting what, what, uh, what John has brought up there because it, he's come to the world, and you see the kings coming, the Gentile kings coming. Of course, the first uh, visitation of Jesus was fr- from the shepherds, and the shepherds were the lowest of the low. <laughs> and, and so he came to, of course, save sinners. The worst of the sinners, uh, shepherds were in such a situation back then where they they couldn't even testify in a court of law mm-hmm. because <laughs> you couldn't trust them. They they were assumed to be liars. Mm-hmm. Well, notice the the shepherds were no doubt Jewish too yeah. as well. So and here you have the the uh, uh, a foreshadowing, if you will, of Paul's uh, great. Uh, 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 commentary, you might say, on the gospel. That's what his uh, his letters are. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He, uh, and he talks about that he shall make out of two one new man. Yeah. So it's it is quite significant. Uh, and so this is called epiphany. Is is in um, Eastern churches, as I said, the the uh, January sixth is Christmas for many of them. But for a lot of Christians, January 6th is Epiphany. It's yeah. remembering this account. Not probably, uh, and, and you've probably heard many sermons around uh, a couple of weeks back when Epiphany, uh, mm-hmm. uh, you hear sermons on uh, that. It's a good time to preach a sermon on this passage. Well, you know what? I just sit here thinking, you know, uh, the world uh, celebrates Christmas at a particular time of the year. And um, then it's kind of like done with. It's like, you ever notice that? Like the next day, it's all done with. And um, there was a lot of marketing hype and salesmanship mm-hmm. and all that going on. And uh, they want to talk about Christmas, and often they'll leave out the Christ child, of course. But um, here we are talking about Christmas and Epiphany and these things, and it's way past Christmas. And uh, yet, this is how Christians do it, isn't it? You know, it? I, 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 I have an interesting um, uh, discussion with a fellow in, in uh, my congregation. He's a retailer. He, he works uh, stocking shelves and so forth and in a store. And we were joking, and um, uh, he said, I said, well, uh, uh, Christmas is over for you. Oh, he said, yes, it's, it, it was gone for us a week ago, yep. <laughs> uh, two weeks ago. That is, this was on Christmas Eve now. <laughs> And then he went on to say, we're on to Valentine's. There it is. But yeah. notice in the early church, from December 25th to January the 6th, that's where you get the 12 days of Christmas. Oh, so yeah. there have been some places and sometimes, probably earlier on, 18th, hmm. 19th century, when they did observe the 12 days of Christmas. Yeah, so yeah. it wasn't just a one-day yeah. shot. I almost mm. wish it was that way today. <laughs> oh, <you know>? Yeah. <laughs> Well, uh, what comes next, gentlemen, after the Magi? What are other significant points as we look at Epiphany and maybe a little onward 
uh, that comes to mind. Yeah. Uh, some, some of the Epiphany celebration is the early part of Jesus' life all the way up, and sometimes even including uh, the marriage of Canaan. Hmm. And so, uh, obviously, the next step is we don't hear of Jesus after he goes to Egypt and comes back until he's 12 years old. Hmm. And, and the very next one is when he goes to Jerusalem for Passover. And uh, there he is at in Jerusalem, and they, they celebrate the Passover. His family takes off, heads back, and Jesus stays in the temple. He actually teaches the, the rulers in the temple, the, uh, hmm. the priests there. Isn't that something? Yeah. He was also asking questions. Asking questions. Yeah, and that's part of learning you know, as well as teaching. It does say in that passage that he heard them or listened to them, but he also taught the rabbis. He Isn't taught the amazing. teachers. That's teachers. it. Yeah. Oh, my. And, of course, uh, when they found out he wasn't there, they came back. And, of course, Mary was all upset, as you can well imagine. You know, yeah. where have you been? Well, yeah. And then, of course, Jesus keeps everything in perspective. He says, don't you know I ought to be about my father's business? Of course. So he wasn't being disrespectful no, there. No, no. He was explaining He was explaining his purpose, his purpose and, yeah. and the, the focus of his ministry. And, of course... <laughs> Mary, to her her credit, accepted that, and, un, and she did. didn't, maybe she didn't understand it completely, but she understood he was yeah. right. Didn't it say she pondered these uh, things so, yeah. in her heart? Yeah. yeah, she thought it through and yeah. kind yes. of quietly, you know, munched on it, as it were. Yes, <laughs> yeah. uh, she she didn't have all the pieces of the puzzle, but she knew mm. she was part of it. Yeah. That's right. She knew of the miraculous birth, of course, and she yeah. also had observed him, and she was putting the puzzled together in pieces, and this was a piece of it. Mm. On the church calendar, so-called, and we'll get to that probably before the end of this uh, session here today, um, we see Epiphany. We also see the baptism of the Lord. Mm -hmm. Can we talk a little bit about um, his baptism, Yes, I I, I think there's no question that uh, uh, when we talk about uh, Christmas Epiphany, we're talking about the Incarnation. And it's right to mention these great events that you find in the scriptures, that particularly in the synoptic gospels, you find his birth, the shepherds, the magi, you find the uh, uh, his own um, appearing in the temple, and then you find this uh, wonderful account in all the gospels mm. of the baptism of mm. Jesus, and then of course going into the wilderness uh, to be tempted of Satan. But uh, the baptism of the Lord uh, is is an interesting event, to say the least. And again, it has a very profound theological significance. Uh, it's, it's an event that we can draw much from. When Jesus uh, submits to baptism, the baptism of John, uh, he, he says that it's to fulfill all righteousness – now, I must admit there was a time uh, and have been times when uh, I was very puzzled by those uh, uh, th- those words. Uh, but I've come to see them in a, a, a different light, a theological way. And in a real sense, when Jesus submits uh, to baptism, uh, John's baptism, which was a baptism of repentance – uh, it's significant in the fact that he's identifying himself uh, with the sinner, with all of the sinful mass of humanity. When he, you might say, is baptized into the human race as our mm. representative. 
so that we might be baptized in his name and become identified with him. Mm. Uh, it's it's significant theologically, That's I think. a rich way to see it. Yeah. Yeah. Indeed, he became sin for us who knew no sin. Mm-hmm. And, uh, mm-hmm. and that was a very... Yeah. Um, Mm-hmm. Very uh, a lesson, I think, on the banks of the Jordan. He who mm-hmm. knew no sin became our representative. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Martin Luther, uh, in a famous yeah. quote, uh, may have heard this before, but he said, "When Jesus died, he died the world's greatest sinner, not mm-hmm. because he had sinned, but because he bore your sin and my sin mm-hmm. in his body." Yeah. Mm-hmm. And is that the baptism? Of Jesus on the Jordan, that He stands with us on our side in our sinful oh, condition. Amen. Yeah, yes. yeah, that's rich. Amen. Yeah. So Jesus was baptized. Uh, is there any implications there regarding the uh, mode of baptism as as Jesus uh, goes through this? Well, I know there are a lot of people who would like to say that there is, but I don't think there is. <laughs> uh, Except to say that yes, he was baptized with water, okay, um, and uh, and it was applied to him in some way. Now, some would say he went into the water. They use the Greek term "ace," which means into, but it also can mean just to the water. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, he may well have been in the water with John the Baptist, but that does not. It does not say he was immersed. Now, mm-hmm. some would say, well, the term baptizo means to immerse. Mm-hmm. Well, here again, if you look at the modus operandi of that word at that time, it can mean to immerse, but it also means to cleanse <laughs> and, uh, and and purification. We see that word used for the way the Pharisees cleansed a cup on the outside but not the inside, which meant obviously they didn't immerse it then. You know, but mm-hmm. that same word was used that way. Hmm. Um, so it doesn't necessarily mean that he was immersed. The very earliest pictures that we have, and these are in the catacombs, so it would have been pre-300 A.D., of Jesus being baptized in the Jordan with John the Baptist is John pouring water over his head as they both stand. Hmm. You know, I, and, uh, Dan, getting uh, hmm. uh, uh, a little, maybe a little more elaboration on this, I don't think there is a theology of water in the New Testament as mm-hmm. such when it comes to baptism. Uh, you can make out of this whatever you want, but it wouldn't make any difference whether he was immersed, poured, right. or sprinkled. Exactly. Uh, the medium of water is used as a cleansing agent, and in a real sense, when Jesus is baptized in the Jordan by John, he's going through a cleansing rite, meaning mm-hmm. that we all need to be cleansed and mm-hmm. forgiven and to turn from our sins. Mm-hmm. Uh, the writer of Hebrews uh, maybe sheds a little light on this when he talks about leaving behind the doctrines of baptisms and yeah, so forth. I remember that. Um, and so... I think maybe uh, we get hung up uh, uh, at a place where the Christians uh, they in Jesus' they day wouldn't have gotten hung they, up. they no. didn't ask these questions <laughs> that we're asking. These yeah. are yeah. these are uh, post New Testament questions. Yeah, yeah. yeah the uh, the emphasis is always on uh, what God does in terms of cleansing our 
hearts and uh, cleansing us from sin. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the earliest documents, the Didache, talks about the different modes. And basically, when you start reading the Didache, it starts off and it says, well, you should have living water. Or you don't have living water, then still water. And it keeps going, going, going. And, and finally, you realize that really the mode isn't that important because mm-hmm. it's emphasizing uh, not the mode, but saying you you can do other things, you know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's really uh, what the sign and the seal of the uh, act of baptism. That's the that's the key, and that's the important yeah. thing. Well, we got into this because I was uh, I was asking about the mode and if there was any implication there. So thanks, fellas, for answering that question. Uh, today we've been talking about epiphany, and uh, we started off this discussion. Um, asking, uh, do all Christians celebrate Christmas uh, on December the 25th? And that brought up uh, this date of January the 6th. And uh, on the church calendar, that's called Epiphany. I see we're out of time already for this uh, edition of A Plain Answer. Perhaps uh, next week we can pick this discussion up and discuss a little bit more about the whole subject of um, dates and times and seasons and what's appropriate to uh, celebrate, what isn't, and all of that. But for now, I guess that's about it for today. Thank you so much, gentlemen, for joining me for another edition of A Plain Answer. And a reminder to our listeners, if you have a question that you'd like for us to consider on this program, feel free to call our toll-free number, and that number is 888-724-4427. There's a mailbox there where you can record your question, and that question will be used over the air. So avail yourself of that opportunity. In the studio with me today has been the Reverend Mark Diedrich, pastor of the PCA Church in Kingston, New York, and Dr. John Vance, senior pastor of Westminster Presbyterian Church, Rock Tavern. I'm Dan Elmendorf, and we invite you to join us again next week at this same time for another edition of A Plain Answer.